0: Welcome back to Creator Journals, the podcast that goes behind the scenes and opens up on the reality behind growing a successful, innovative, creative brand. I am pretty sure many of you would have heard of this week's journal guest, possibly as one of her 85,000 strong monthly readers to her London Lifestyle site. You could also be an attendee of her female focus festivals or an avid listener to her very own podcast. Yes, we are talking about the formidable Angelica Mallon, founder of About Time magazine, the About Time Academy, She Started It Live Festival and the She Started It podcast. Phew, I struggle to even read that, let alone run it like Angelica does. We managed to grab a chat with Angelica last month to discover just how she managed to launch so many successful ventures straight out of university with no standard career history to her name. She lets us in on the reality behind running a multitude of creative businesses and some of the many lessons she learned along the way including elements such as sourcing and recruiting a team. This is pretty epic considering About Time magazine now has over 90 freelance writers to its name. And then learning how to distance herself as a manager from the team. Something that she is still learning to do as she still has a team around for dinner now and then. Angelica has this incredibly strong, positive energy that is completely infectious. Everyone in the recording studio left feeling outrageously empowered especially us females, as Angelica talks so passionately about her work to support other female founders. Hopefully it's a journal that will make you feel exactly the same. I really must add on a side note that we recorded the podcast earlier last month in March. We knew the podcast would come out after Angelica's She Started It Live event, so there is some reference to it. Unfortunately, the event was postponed due to the current situation and for the safety of everyone involved. I hope you can understand why I have left the conversation in, as there are many more events I'm sure in the future to come, and it really is an event series that we are fully supportive of. That being said, I will pass you over to Gemma to hear more about it.
1: So I had the pleasure of being joined today by the wonderful Angelica Malin, founder and editor-in-chief of Lifestyle Magazine, About Time, as well as founder also of She Started It Live Festival. So thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to come and join us You're today. Welcome. It's really thank nice to have you me. here. Um, so firstly, this might be a bit weird for you because I know you have your own po- podcast as well. Mm. So this time it's you on the other end of it. I quite We're like be this. Answer, you the questions. I don't have to think. Can... Less pressure. No. You can just say what you want. <laughs> no, that's good. It's really nice to have you here. So first up, how have you been? Was it? okay getting here? I know the rain's just yeah, disgusting today. It, it's, it
2: was fine, it's fine, <laughs> I trek to Bermondsey but I liked it. Um, yeah, I'm okay, we're always quite busy I think having a, a portfolio career as it yeah. were. You feel like you're wearing so many hats in, in the week and I feel even when we don't have a lot of stuff on it just feels busy because we're constantly kind of moving between projects yeah. and thinking about different things. So, so yeah, it's, I'm trying to juggle a work-life balance but it's
1: pretty non-existent. Not right. Well we'll get into that <laughs> a lot later, later in the podcast. So um, to start off, Tell me and the listeners about what is the magazine about? Time,
2: sure. So, about time is a London lifestyle site. It mm-hmm. covers anything. It's about time you tried in London and beyond. So, about time you went to Bermondsey or I don't know. About nice. time you tried <laughs> hot yoga, whatever it is. We we discover things that are worth people's time and money in the cool. capital. So, I've been doing it for about six years. Um, so, I've pretty much tried everything there is yeah. to do in London and beyond. I'm pretty tired actually. Yeah, that must I'll force you in to do a lot of and fun eat things toast forever. <laughs> a lot of fun things. A lot of concepts. Yeah, it's I. I think i always say to people it's a job you do when you're young when yeah. you have the energy to go out and want to try things and kind of be curious about the world yeah. i don't know if i see myself doing this when i'm like 60 but for <laughs> now yeah i've enjoyed it a lot
1: still try is there something like really obscure that you've had to i mean there's try?
2: absolutely everything i feel like my weeks is always quite weird, weird.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> yeah i don't know all sorts of things i went to la and i did a um I did a surfboard yoga class, which was where you oh did yoga God. on like a on a surfboard. Multitasking. The problem multitasking is, it was um it wasn't just that, it was also like a couple's one. So it was doing oh kind of gosh. like inversions and stuff. And I took my partner at the time and we were doing like I don't know, these kind of strange back bendy things and he'd have to like prop me up with my feet oh my his feet you know kind of like aeroplane yeah, when you're a yeah. kid, but like on a surfboard in in the ocean oh. like, that's just like a day in the office oh you
1: know <laughs> that's pretty cool that's yeah. not a bad day-to-day job that's yeah. that has its perks um so with these podcasts we like to go all the way 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 back to the beginning mm-hmm. before about time existed um and all the sort of different things you're doing now and sort of see how you started and and how you got to where you are so if you cast your mind back six years ago mm-hmm. before about time um magazine what were you up to
2: well i have a pretty like straightforward career trajectory in that i never really have had a job so i left university and launched about time Mm -hmm. so i kind of had six months in between um uni and launching yeah but never had a job, never really had a CV, to be honest. <laughs> um, I wanted to be my own boss, I think. I I did English at university, I'd had experience writing, and I'd worked a bit for a magazine. And I just thought, I don't know, like I, I was excited by the industry. Yeah. And from what I remember six years ago, there weren't loads of great jobs going in journalism. Mm. And I kind of thought, I'll just start my own thing. Yeah. I'll see how it goes. And if nothing else, it'll be like a good portfolio. Yeah. And so I think... I often say with these things, I think when you're younger, it it sometimes can be easier because you don't have as much fear. I think as I've got older, I felt a lot more risk adverse and the thought of launching new things is quite intimidating. But I think when you're younger and you don't have tons of financial responsibility or you might be living at home, those can be good opportunities sometimes to just throw yourself in and try stuff. So that's definitely... What happened for me? Didn't have much of a business plan. Just kind of winged <laughs> it. I'm still winging it, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I, so I launched out of university. I did a very basic website that yeah. cost me a few hundred quid. I worked with a freelancer. I got friends to write. I built up like, a network of journalists to, to write for us and, and built it from there.
1: That's quite cool not having to ever have to leave a job or leave that security at any point. You actually manage to just create it for yourself. Yeah, than There's definitely entering. pros and cons
2: to it. I think if you it does take away a lot of the fear if you're mm. not jumping from something stable. I yeah. think having never had like a traditional kind you of salary like nine to and five and yeah. holiday leave. Like those things <laughs> that I know are really comforting I've never had, so I don't like mourn them, I yeah, guess yeah. in a way. But at the same time I think that sometimes the mentality with entrepreneurship is like just go for it, like just throw yourself in and actually like weighing up the risk working out whether it's the right business whether you're ready for it like mm-hmm. I don't love the like kind of hustly mentality yeah. of, like it, there's no time like today kind of thing because yeah. sometimes there actually is a better time Yeah. <laughs> um, and also there's a real value for going and doing a couple of years in like a relevant sector before yeah. you go off and launch for contacts for experience for messing up on someone else's time <laughs> like there's a whole host of things that I would have done differently yeah. yeah if I'd just gone and had a few years somewhere so but you never know like you might go somewhere and then be too scared to leave so so, pros and cons, but I, th- I think it is good to get relevant experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, this is your journey, and it's worked out really well for you. So, um yeah, I think everyone comes from slightly different different backgrounds, different routes. Mm. But um it's yeah, it's a cool one to come out of uni and just create your own job. That's it's nice. A, a lot of graduates must be like, "That's really cool. I just want to make my own job." Well, they don't should don't just go and it. give it a go. Yeah, you know, and if nothing
2: else, it. It's really great for your CV to be like, I did yeah, this. I tried this, it, this, I tried, even was, if it... Yeah, yeah if this, if this it, is how far it. I got with it. I yeah. think that that's good. Like, you have to do stuff to make you stand out a bit.
1: Was this really always a goal? Did you ever see yourself being your own boss? Or is it something that sort of came naturally once you graduated?
2: I think I did see it. And I think I, I've always enjoyed the freedom, the flexibility mm. of being self-employed. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing to give up. So I think I kind of felt like I have to make it work. Like, I didn't really feel like I had an option because I just, I love that freedom yeah. of structuring my day and just like you know feeling like you're taking a passion and you are making it into something I think that's really exciting yeah so for me like a traditional nine-to-five just wouldn't
1: have really worked so how did you first identify about time as an idea as a concept was it sort of something you'd experienced like moving to London perhaps and sort of figuring out all the sort of things you did want to try and then being like here's other people probably might want to do this as well yeah so
2: when I was working for a magazine briefly as part of my degree I was Mm -hmm. writing a food column and it was like things to do in London it was like where to go to eat and I found whenever I was researching um, like for new restaurants or menus I'd find these like really long overwhelming guides that were like a hundred of the best burgers in the capital or just things that were like chunky pieces of content and I'd often like many people go on them and be like oh I actually like it's too much choice I I, I can't pick anything because I felt really overwhelmed and I'd come away having not decided and that was my experience uh, time and time again and I thought I just think it'd be really nice to have something that was like your friend in the know where it was like here's five things that are worth your time and we've kind of like handpicked it so yeah
1: more like personal recommendations kind of thing like you would with a friend that kind of thing
2: yeah so like getting a feel for the journalist who's writing the feature and keeping it more personal, putting up, like, personal photographs, just as something, I suppose, a little bit more, like, curated. Yeah. And a bit more direct and bossy, I think, especially with Londoners. We're so time poor that you need someone to sit you down and be like, this, like, this one thing is worth your time. Yeah, yeah. So I think, like, being bossy can actually work <laughs> yeah, your definitely. Favour sometimes. And that, that tone is what we carried into the website.
1: Nice. And so did you start it out on your own?
2: yeah. I did it totally on my own. I did it for a year on my own. Um, I had like a a team in place, but they were working remotely, part-time, people around their jobs. So I didn't have anyone that was working with me in the day-to-day. I think when I think back to that time, it was really lonely and it was hard because... It's, one, you're doing something that's totally different to what a lot of your friends are doing at the yeah. time. And you don't have someone kind of propping up your self-doubt when you have those moments. And then, like, just physically not, not sitting next to someone during the day, like, that is all really difficult.
1: Quite isolating at times. Yeah, so yeah it, it can be.
2: And I think six years ago, co-working spaces weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Instagram wasn't a thing, so you couldn't, like, find people in the way yeah. you can now. I think it's a lot easier now if you're going to launch something to find like-minded people. But yeah, I just, you can Yeah, connect I didn't with... have that but i think in times like that you'll kind of your belief in what you're doing will carry you through, hopefully. Yeah. So that was the case for me. And then within a year, I was able to hire someone and oh, cool. kind of went from there, really. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's definitely been a journey. But I think just sitting with that discomfort sometimes is sometimes if you haven't raised investment, you just have to do it alone for a while, unless mm. you've got a co-founder, which I think is great if you can find a co-founder. Yeah, that also can be a tricky relationship. So
1: Yeah, I suppose having support in the, the good times and the bad times, I think now you have a, you have a, big team of people that you work with Mm -hmm. on about time and I think that has helped but I see what you mean when you don't have that financial backing in the beginning actually just be able to just go for it yourself and not have to wait for anybody else or just sort of doing things Mm. on your own and
2: I've seen a lot from the panels that I've moderated people often go for investment because they're Scared of being lonely, and they want to be able to hire a team. Yeah, they want to be able to have someone else. And doing, like that's not necessarily the right reason to go for investment. I don't think so. It's like just sometimes just sitting with the discomfort of having to properly like shoestring something for a while, and you know, I think I always say people: if you can like enjoy it sitting alone in cafe Nero, yeah, it's a pretty good test. Like, are you that committed? Are oh, you passionate just want, about like, it? Yeah, a shiny WeWork office, like maybe you're not doing it for the right yeah, reasons. Yeah, not doing it
1: for the, yeah for definitely, and then won't necessarily see the success out of it if your heart isn't totally in it because there won't it won't always be an easy ride so yeah you need to 100% be committed so what were the sort of first steps you took once you knew that you wanted to, wanted to go in there you said you hired a freelancer to help you with the website yeah
2: so I found someone to help me build a website mm-hmm. I did of, we did a quite a basic but quite functional website for the first instance which was just a very clean aesthetic um, like visually led so lots of space for nice pictures and actually I think that site served us for a couple of years mm-hmm. and I think it cost like a few hundred quid so it was really quite basic. I think out of university is a good time to do it as well because so many people are trying to get a portfolio Yeah. so they're quite willing to, to help you out and do stuff for yeah, yeah, definitely and then from there I got lots of people to write content and when I launched the website we had about 50 feet on oh, it already. Nice. Okay, cool. And that's often some advice I give for people who want to launch something content-based. I think it has to be quite content-heavy and rich from the off, so yeah. it feels—I don't know, like yeah, it feels established. It feels, like, established. It feels yeah. established exactly. It feels you know like a magazine or whatever it is you're trying to do, and people can stay on it for a while. So. That's what we did. And then I remember we had a very good launch day. I'd met with a lot of PR agencies and said, This is what I'm gonna do and so we had a good launch day, lots of people were sharing it, it was great, we used Twitter a lot for that. But then I remember day two waking up and being like, Oh god, I've gotta like do it all over again. That's the thing with (laughs) content. Yeah. It's just like content is this constant hamster wheel of like producing new content getting it up sharing it it never really stops and i think for six years i've just been on that hamster wheel of like we're producing producing which can be quite hard but that's also like that's the fun challenge of it yeah is you're constantly having to kind of innovate come up with new ways to build and like um build relationships with the audience and, and produce stuff that they like
1: yeah definitely did you find collaborating with different writers and things at the beginning rather than having to like write all the content yourself did that really yeah help?
2: definitely that has such a benefit because you're kind of bringing in, um not only their writing but their social following and their yeah. engagement and you're
1: building relationships so yeah that's that's super useful and when you were starting the website was there ever I mean it's the about time sort of magazine was there ever a discussion of whether you'd go print or did you always want it to be an online website well
2: I think because we had no money yeah
1: it was it never even, even a, a question yeah. but then
2: yeah it, even six years ago print was beginning to wane right, and okay. I could kind of see that happen in a lot yeah. of um a lot of print magazines were, were moving to digital only. Mm-hmm. So it was a good time to be to be doing the digital thing. Yeah. It's funny now though, I feel like there has been a bit of a resurgence with print, mm-hmm. not with the like traditional women's glossies, but kind of brands doing these like one off kind of printed yeah. magazines. And I, I, I personally love a print magazine. Um, they are really expensive, though. I went to buy mm. one the other day and they're like £4 <laughs> for a like print magazine. I was like, no wonder what? this industry is going <laughs> yeah. under. They're so
0: expensive.
2: Um, but I, I could imagine, actually, in the future that we do, like, an annual or oh, something okay, like cool.
1: that. Oh, Yeah, that'd be really nice. So maybe mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I suppose, traditionally, people would start print and then potentially yeah, move online and I now know. you're all the way around. That's, yeah. that's quite cool. So what did the website look like right at the beginning? So you had about 50 posts, but yeah, I imagine but it was quite posts. different to what it looks like now. Yeah,
2: it was... It was it was user friendly, but it was very basic. Um, I used to like design these kind of Photoshop headers myself with this horrible script font <laughs> that was like really curly and just very childish. And we, yeah, I feel <laughs> like it illegible. had to like grow up with me a little bit. So okay, the first cool. the first yeah, and I, I also I didn't really have a sense of what it was that our audience wanted. So I think in the early days of anything that's content based, whether it's a website or Instagram, mm. you're kind of throwing you know throwing in the dark a little bit and you just see what sticks, and that's what we did. I didn't have a massive sense of what it was that audience wanted so we were posting Mm. a lot and then from there like looking at analytics working out what did well what didn't and then that was how our journey kind of developed and evolved yeah was being you know quite data driven but in the early days it was just like we'll just put up anything and just see who likes what and I that's how you learn you know that's how you develop a content see what people actually
1: engage with yeah yeah and obviously you said that Instagram wasn't a massive thing mm. back then, and I, think I don't think it was a thing at all. Maybe was it a was a thing at but all. I don't sure. remember it being a thing. So how did you? I mean, a lot of people now rely heavily on social media yeah. to try and get traffic through to their website and things like that. How did you get people through to About Time?
2: Mm. Interesting, because. I see Instagram is quite a separate platform mm-hmm. we tried for a long time to treat it like a platform that was going to drive traffic mm-hmm. and for us it just wasn't that way oh, really? I think okay. it's I mean obviously we do swipe ups and all the rest of it but I think that for lots of people Instagram is like a brand awareness thing mm-hmm. and um, treating it as a slightly different platform I think has been better for us as a brand yeah. um, in the early days it was a mixture of Twitter which has always been a really good driver of traffic Pinterest which is great for SEO mm-hmm. and then just doing like natural SEO but the the only way really to drive this is just continually publishing just constantly writing fresh stuff and that will help you kind of grow on google so that that was the real way just consistency really
1: so did you make it your full-time focus immediately like once that website was up was it your nine to five every day or did you have any other sort of financial backing from anywhere else in your life no
2: nine to five nine till probably ten to be honest um yeah just just from there
1: and where did you sort of get the Um, How did you sort of monetize it? Was there, Mm -hmm. like, advertising from the beginning that you offered?
2: So I think it took, like... Nine or ten months to start to ge- generate anything, really. Okay. Um, I had a bit of savings, and I, I knew that was going to be the case. Yeah. So I, let, I had a bit of a buffer, and I knew that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think with that, within about nine, ten months of, of producing good content, brands started to come to us for kind of advertorials and sponsored yeah. content, and that's when we began to generate. But I, I do think with online, it's also a case of kind of working out, as you go along, really, like where the revenue is coming from. And having quite a fluid approach of, of going down different revenue streams. I, I think it's difficult if you're just relying on one thing. So we try and have like multiple sources.
1: Yeah. And were the writers writing for you um, to sort of benefit themselves as well and writing for free yeah. at first and that thing? To kind be honest, the first
2: year or so, we didn't pay anyone. Yeah. Um, we were just getting them because they wanted a portfolio. Yeah. And we also, they...
1: Helping each other out. <laughs> Helping each other out. And
2: they got to go and experience nice things. Um, but we pay, we pay freelancers now.
1: Nice that's, that's good to, that's good to hear good to, um, when you were developing the magazine was there anything in particular that you wanted to address or you wanted to do differently perhaps as part of like a, a brand ethos things that you knew from the beginning that you wanted to target as part of part of the brand
2: mm, interesting we uh, well I suppose female entrepreneurship has become a really big thing mm-hmm. for us now yeah. that probably three or so years in that became a focus for the website where we just yeah we were saying that there weren't enough female entrepreneurs being interviewed so yeah. we started to do a lot of content that was focused on interviewing female founders and that's how our events and festivals kind of came about Growing so that's always been a part but you know we ended up having a much higher female audience even though that wasn't planned as part of any business strategy mm-hmm. um it just kind of happened and I think I saw that we had so many more women reading the site that I was like well it's a good opportunity to be doing something in the female empowerment space yeah. because we have an engaged
1: female you audience. have that audience yeah um, and doing something with that um yeah we'll talk a little bit about um your um events and festivals that you've got um because yeah you've done a huge amount in in that industry to to help empower more females and, and entrepreneurship so um that's really cool and it's nice nice to see where that came from um what were the biggest challenges for you in the very beginning perhaps compared to now before you had anybody else on board and you were working on your own what did you find like the hardest part of that startup?
2: Um, I think there's loads I mean everything I feel like Is quite difficult In yeah. the early days There's a lot of self doubt I think mm-hmm. when you're starting out Am I doing the right thing Is this going to work And like am I crazy All that kind of stuff Comes to mind for me And I feel like That's something I struggled with In the early days And then obviously Revenue is difficult Trying to work out How you're going to make money How you're going to keep it sustainable mm-hmm. I think you can Make money quite easily With online But you, it's hard to predict month to month yeah. and I think cash flow wise that's a real challenge of the industry is because you're if you're waiting a lot for brands to come to you um you are kind of being reactive rather than proactive it can be quite difficult because yeah. you can't predict how much is going to come in month to month and that's the same for any kind of freelancer as well so for us it was trying to work out what can we put in place that feels more like a retainer or like where we can project um figures a bit better
1: mm. Did- Yeah, No, no, no. Anything else? Carry on. I don't think if there's anything
2: else. Uh, I think people is the hardest thing about running your own business. Like, finding the right people to hire, managing a team. Like, all of that stuff is really difficult and no one teaches you in school how to learn to be a leader yeah. and, and how to lead with compassion I've had to let people go the stuff that's just very difficult mm. and it's you know really emotionally challenging when it's your own business because you just care so much I think that's probably a really difficult thing hiring is just a whole world in itself of how you how you find the right people and then how you motivate them
1: is that something that's come with experience is there ever a point where you had to sort of have you done any courses or anything no
2: it's a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. but you know it's difficult because trial and error when you're talking about people yeah. you know, there's people involved in that so when you make an error it has a yeah. It has an effect. Yeah. Um, but I, I, boundaries is something that I've had to learn. I think yeah. running a startup, you naturally often have a smaller team, you share a lot more. It can be quite a close environment, it can be mm. quite intense. And like learning boundaries in a traditional sense that you would mm. probably have in like a corporate job, yeah. like how you manage those relationships can be quite challenging at times. So it's something I've really learned is like, where do we draw the line with our like, yeah, work relationships yeah. and our friendships? Because I would, yeah, I've had employees in the past where I've just wanted to go out for drinks with them after work. and that's fine if you do it a couple times, but if you're wanting to do it, like, every night, I don't know, there are things that you have to kind of learn as a boss, I guess, about... How you can best manage people,
1: and I think yeah. if you become
2: too friendly, then it can be difficult.
1: I mean, coming straight out of university, graduating, and then basically becoming people's employer yeah. straight away—that's not a sort of traditional transition that a lot of people would have had to deal with. Yeah, totally. So and
2: no one, maybe I should have gone on a course. Right? <laughs> then I just worked it out as I went along, I guess. And I still don't have like great boundaries at a dinner party last night, and like most of my employees were there. So I don't know. Right? But I think that's it's also okay. Curve. Like I think yeah. that's what like modern business looks like as well. Is yeah, you kind of create your own path, don't you?
1: Did Do you find at that point in your life as well when you've got friends that are doing more traditional things and they are in a nine-to-five job in an office in London on a higher salary that kind of thing was it quite difficult on a personal level to sort of see your friends doing something different and having different things to you
2: I think there's a level of connection that
1: you'll never quite
2: have with your work with friends who are in traditional nine-to-fives because they just don't get a lot of things and you just have to make peace with that, that your work problems will be really different to the work problems of your friends in nine-to-fives and they also perhaps, like, sometimes won't understand them as deeply because I have, like, quite a few friends who just have jobs where they'll just they'll leave the hat at the door on the way out and not think about anything till the following morning. Yeah. For my work, it's like if something goes wrong, I feel it really personally, like it will just be on my mind constantly. And that level of connection, it can be quite isolating in a way yeah. because, yeah, you don't have that your friends don't go through the same thing. So trying to find some people who have gone through similar things. I know you've got Lucy on the podcast as yeah. well. She's like my work <laughs> wife.
1: Oh, nice. Um, and we often work together during
2: the day. And That's good. Because she's self-employed, like finding people who've gone through similar problems can be really comforting.
1: Yeah. I mean, with those sorts of struggles and and things that you have in the early stages, was there ever like a wobble moment where you were like, I'm not sure if this is going to work long term?
2: Mm-hmm. You basically have that wobble moment, I think, hourly. Continuously. And you just, you just continuously, and you just learn to sit with the wobble. I think, I don't know, I think, especially with women, we're, we're sort of trained to think that there is this kind of alpha male mentality of like you believe in yourself 110% like you back yourself like don't do it if you're not totally committed I've had so many moments like hour to hour where I'm like is this what I'm doing like right like should I be doing this and then the thing is is that you just learn to sit with that discomfort Mm -hmm. and you just don't give it too much power like you're like I appreciate that my brain is telling me that this might not be right, but I'm going to keep doing it. And you just sit with it and you you work through it rather than let it kind of cripple you. Just keep going, yeah. Just keep going. And I don't always feel 110% committed to it to be honest and I think that's also okay like some days I feel great with it some days I'm like well, what am I doing and I'm six years in so yeah. I think if more people realise that they would be like less put off Yeah, because I think definitely. people don't see that in themselves they're like well I definitely can't start a business because I'm not sure enough I don't think you're ever sure enough I don't think you ever get to a place where you're fully confident you yeah. just have to kind of sit with a little bit of discomfort yeah
1: accepting that it's not going to be amazing all the time I think some people mm. think when they're starting out um, and there's going to be a moment where they go right I've made it mm. I've got a very successful business now every day is great the money's always going to be coming in and it's going to be fine and I think actually accepting that there's going to be struggles and perhaps it's not always mm. going to be great And there's going to be a lot of fear throughout I think yeah, accepting that embracing possibly. it and um, just all helps. the fear
2: all the time but it's okay <laughs> basically it's fine it's just like
1: your business it's going to be horrible it is, it's going to be constant it's state like, anxiety it's worth
2: it because you end up feeling amazing a lot of the yeah. time and you you have something in you have an idea in your mind and then you put it into practice and it's like the most magical experience because like, I literally thought this up and now I know, no it's people are here or yeah. people are buying my product yeah. and that's like hugely exciting yeah. and that's such a reward that for me I'm like okay, well the, 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 the downside is that I feel fearful quite a lot of the yeah. time and I'm scared and I have self doubt and I might not have that if I have a 9 to 5 but I have all these other amazing things yeah. so you weigh it up really yeah
1: definitely the balance is worth it the mm. lows are low but the highs are high exactly definitely. um so as you started to grow more and you had more finances coming in um and you could actually make have your first employee mm. paid um with you who did you bring in
2: yeah so uh, it was content content person yeah. to look after the website really cool i was finding which i think is quite common that when you're working in the business, you can't work on the business. Yep. So I was spending a lot of time producing content um, when I should have really been more strategic and kind of yep. sitting over stuff and trying to grow us as a business. So I brought in someone who managed the website, essentially. Um, and she no longer works for me, but I have someone now who also manages the website. Um, which is, yeah, it's good, because it allows you to kind of step back a little bit and mm-hmm. just have a bird's-eye view on your yeah. business. So I think I think your your first hire should be someone that, can take the load off for work you the doing. that you could be freed up to be doing something that's perhaps more commercially yep. driven and um, that would probably be my main bit of advice
1: did that have an immediate benefit for you having somebody else on board
2: yeah it had a benefit but then also there's other stuff that comes up for you like you then no longer have an excuse where you're like <laughs> yeah now someone's doing all that side of stuff like the things that i'm kind of scared of like for me it was like going out and pitching brands like you have nothing to hide behind mm. it's kind of like hiding behind being busy and then when you're no longer as busy you are like wow now I actually have to face it. yes yeah, this things. is the time now and yeah. that's where you grow I guess so yeah it, it was it was really good for the business but it was hard for me and it, it continues to be hard every time I hire someone new I'm like oh that's no longer a bit that I need to w- worry about yeah. and then I have like a new bit of space in my calendar where yeah. I'm like okay now I need to fill this with new stuff and I, that's what it is to be a business leader I guess yeah, definitely. but you're having to kind of step into a new leadership role every time. And so I now have someone that looks after content, someone that looks after events, and someone that looks after brand partnerships. Okay, cool. So now I'm like, so what do I do? <laughs> yeah, um, that's my and that's what I'm figuring out 2020. I'm like working out what it is that I do. And cool. basically I think that's that's quite common for a lot of people who start a business when you get to a certain level. It's like where do you take yourself next as a founder?
1: definitely I think well you've certainly filled your time with lots of different things like yeah. with the podcast and, and with the academy yeah um, I'm also writing a book which I've just
2: been told oh. I'm allowed to talk about So, oh amazing yeah great um, so I'm writing a book so that's what I do
1: at the moment oh course. Cool. sit in
2: my <laughs> flat with a laptop just like in tea. a teeth
1: oh my god cool. that's amazing yeah it's a lot
2: of work yeah i it's a yeah, lot of work. it's hard <laughs> it's so many words to write a book Yes, which is about female entrepreneurship oh nice that's yeah. really
1: cool yeah. is that something that you knew you wanted to do like, have you always wanted to write a book
2: um, I have always wanted to uh, for, yeah for, since we've been doing female entrepreneur events I've yeah. wanted to because we had so many people that would contact us and say I'd love to come but I'm in like Sydney or I don't know in Newcastle, yeah. and I couldn't come and we never recorded them and we, we still haven't really found a great way of kind of getting the content from the events out there I think for me it just they're really amazing to be there in person I've not felt that they would translate that well so but there's so many amazing like bits of advice that come out of our yeah. events. so I wanted something that people could could find out yeah, that, so that, that book's good for that make
1: it accessible to everybody that yeah. even can't come there so at what point did you want to make the about time academies and that's where it sort of first started yeah is that sort of like basically like sort of paying it back to where you'd come from a little bit um or? so
2: no so we started with about time magazine and then the academy um, yeah sorry sure.
1: i mean before the festival started oh yeah so, so, so exactly we moved so, into next no.
2: Basically, we'd been doing uh, reader events for like three years or so, yeah. and we started just by doing kind of panel talks, um, lots of people wanted to know how to start their own business, so we did panel talks around that, we did wellbeing stuff, things mm-hmm. just related to the magazine, okay, yeah. but kind of bringing them into a physical space. And we had done them for a couple of years, um, and I think I felt like it was slightly confusing brand-wise to be doing reader events through the magazine, it'd mm-hmm. be quite cool to kind of move them onto a separate platform. So the Academy was just like a way of doing that, basically, a way of kind of branding up what we we are already doing yeah so um, we launched the academy and then through that we do female empowerment festivals as well called she starts it live so um, yeah the, with the empowerment festivals we had been doing quite similar events but what we'd been doing was spreading them out over six weeks so we do kind of six panel talks about female entrepreneurship yeah. over the course of six weeks um, I think it was because I was scared of doing like a one-day festival so I was like oh it'll be easier to spread out over a few weeks and yeah. keep promoting them what it does is it totally burns you out yeah, because once a a lot week, of work. yeah once a week I was getting on stage and having to do it and then we were having to promote the next one and you're on this hamster wheel of ticket sales so my team were like this doesn't make any sense we need <laughs> to change this so last September we did a one day event
1: oh cool nice so you've expanded it a little bit it's yeah now we've now put it over two days thing. now
2: because um it was very content heavy um uh, it was from like nine to five and we had talks every hour and I just felt like people got to the end of the day and they were like, well, wow, it's a lot for our like, operators yeah, to take yeah. in. So we spread it across two days and made it a slightly lighter schedule. Mm-hmm. It's like nine to four now. So shaved off yeah. an hour. But it was also because we had so many amazing women contact yeah. us wanting to speak and we wanted to give them opportunities. So I think it's, um, it's really important to, although digital communities are amazing, to not overlook the physical. And for me, being able to go to a, a place where you can meet like a room full of amazing oh, women and network and find mentors and everything like that is really important. I think we rely a little too heavily sometimes on things like instagram to meet people yeah and we can hide behind them a little bit um and i think trying to create real life connections is super important we also have done um complimentary childcare for this festival oh that's so great across idea the two yeah. days um first free childcare because we got a lot of feedback from the last one of people saying oh i wanted to bring my friend but she's got a kid and she couldn't she find can't. a nanny yeah I, so i was like how hard can this be and turns out it was like super easy which oh, made brilliant. me feel a bit embarrassed that we hadn't done it before. But yeah, it was it was not difficult. So I'd urge anyone who's putting on events just to look into yeah, it. It's 100%. actually a lot easier um, than you think to organise it. And that's something
1: that people potentially don't even consider. You no, and it makes such a big difference in feedback.
2: terms... We talk so much about inclusivity and I think mm. it's one of the easiest things that you can do to make your event inclusive. Yeah, so
1: that it can be available for everybody. Well, I just want to play with the kids all day. So
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do any work.
1: Yeah, you're not going to actually go to any of the talks. No. Just just be with the kids. <laughs> um So were you surprised at how popular the festival was, the first one you did? with the amount of people that came um, along or had it sort of built naturally from the events you have done before? I
2: think because we had such a long run-up with content in that area that it wasn't like a surprise that we launched it perhaps so that people you know if you're using your channels to talk about an issue quite a lot mm-hmm. then when you try and do something like a festival I think it, it a left. lot of
1: engagement yeah
2: yeah people respond better to it so I think if you can kind of wor- warm up your audience with whatever it is you're trying to create um the thing I found the most kind of useful for for the festival is bringing in as many voices as possible mm-hmm. so Women of um, different ages, different experiences, different backgrounds, um, you know, having women over 40 who've started their own businesses, just trying to make it as diverse as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I do often think with these listicles that we see, like you're saying, a lot of the same faces and a lot of the same names repeated as well. Mm-hmm. So trying to get women who are perhaps earlier on in their journeys. Um, we had quite a lot of feedback from our audience after the first one that they really liked that not everyone was that far ahead Mm -hmm. in their businesses because you know a lot of people when they're starting out and they're just in month one or two they want to see someone who's in like month 18 and that feels more relatable to them yeah and often with these business talks that are put on it's people that have raised a lot of investment they've been doing it a couple of years they're in Whole Foods and Ocado and that can be quite intimidating and I think there's yeah. a there's a fine line between like inspirational and just, just like, being like
1: how am I ever going to achieve yeah, that and yeah and just yeah. like
2: kind of off-putting because it feels too too far away yeah. so we try to get a mix of, of accessibility I guess
1: and so in addition to sort of feedback that you've had from the festivals and the events um, is there any sort of moments that people have spoken to you and said like oh my god that really helped or that was really inspiring and sort of made you go oh that's really cool I made that happen yeah
2: we've done a few of the events that we did in our early days um there's one I'm thinking of in particular we did a brunch that was like how to start your own food brand mm-hmm. and we had a, did a panel talk with a few founders who'd started food brands and then it was a sit down brunch and about a year after that someone emailed me and she said like off the back of coming to that event I launched my thing and <gasps> it's now oh, like on a cardo that's and she so sent, cool it's, it's like a cheer jam it's really cool oh, nice. it's called cham, cham and, good, yeah, good name, name. <laughs> strong and she's name and done super well with it it's oh, in loads maybe. of shops like yeah it's, it's a really popular product and I, it was one of those moments of connection for me that you know when everything feels so difficult but yeah. if you can just make like one bit of difference and just slightly change someone's trajectory 100%. that feels amazing and now we try and do that on a macro scale with the festivals Yeah. But it's like sometimes people are just on the edge and they just need a push they just need someone to say like go for it or like I believe in you or like you've got this 100%. or someone to say like I totally failed but it was worth it and Yeah. that's the, the momentum you need so yeah I just I think it's an important thing to do yeah
1: definitely and be able to sort of see perhaps somebody go through a similar journey and be able to go actually I'm at that point now so mm. if I do this I might be able to become yeah. successful I think also just hearing
2: loads about the issues that a lot of women feel when they start businesses mm. like imposter syndrome like yeah. it's a really real thing a lot of women grow up in environments where they're not encouraged to launch their own business mm. they don't have perceptions of you know our perception of what a business person looks like as a man mm. and yeah. you know you don't grow up with a lot of
1: tie yeah. yeah
2: like you know Lord Sugar like you don't see a lot of female yeah. entrepreneurs on the TV like there's a lot of work to do, I think, in representation, and so these these things are important. That we actually, you can't be what you can't see, so yeah. we need to be, you know, 100%. flying the flag a bit for female entrepreneurship.
1: Did you you mentioned their imposter syndrome? Is this something that you ever experienced yourself when you were starting out?
2: I mean, I still do. Still now. I'm doing it now. Yeah. I mean, don't, I think we just do forever. We just yeah. constantly have that sense of, like, someone's going to catch me out. Yeah, or you're gonna, faking to, it. Yeah, I'm faking it. <laughs> um, I think there's an element that's quite healthy about it because it raises self-awareness and you can be quite... Critical to an extent of what you're doing, and that a bit of healthy criticism for yourself is okay. It's just when it kind of feels like it's crippling you, yeah. then that's not good. I, had, I mean, writing a book threw up all sorts of imposter syndrome yeah. for me because I get, you know, you have that voice <laughs> in the back of your mind that's like, Who am I to write a book? You're not an author. <laughs> like, I've only done this six years, like, Who are you to do it? And I, yeah, I don't know. It, it is something that we need to confront, and mm. it definitely affects women more than it affects men. So I think we need to look at why.
1: Do you think your advice would be to somebody that may be experiencing feelings like that to actually make it a driver, make it something that's you to go, no, I can do this. So just because I don't necessarily fit the things that I think an author, for example, should have, actually I probably still can do yeah, it. Yeah, and, and then... I think
2: voicing it, that's the most important yeah. thing, is that the more that we let this stuff sit in our minds and we don't speak to or not anyone about it, the more grip it has yeah. on us. And I think whenever you breathe air into anything, you feel better. So whether it's just saying to a friend... Or I had a bit of a rough day because yeah. I was writing this thing and I just had all these feelings of self doubt come up. That just like releases a bit and then you just, just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's out. Right so just let yeah. it out. Like let your imposter out, let it go for a little walk and <laughs> you feel a hell of a lot better. And you just, someone will reassure you.
1: Definitely. I think when you're sort of managing that balance, particularly if you're self-employed and you have your own startup brand, that kind of thing, um, it's important to have a good support network. Um, is it something that you've found you've developed over time and you've mastered a bit more in terms of speaking to people about when you, know, you have a bad day and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, definitely. But it does take time because you have to... I mean, I have a great support network with my friends, mm-hmm. but also finding like-minded business people is yeah. really important, but can be quite difficult. And I think it's about putting yourself in the right situation so it might be a co-working space. Mm -hmm. It might be joining, like, a networking group of sorts or going to, like, Google events, like, all sorts of stuff. But I think if you can put yourself in the room and try and find people that are in similar-ish circumstances, that can be so powerful. Because I think friends and family alone often isn't enough if you're going through quite, like, a unique journey.
1: And be able to speak to people that have gone through similar scenarios yeah. and they can give you advice. Perhaps like, if I speak to my mom about something, she's not going to oh, understand yeah. and she's exactly like, my what I'm doing.
2: And she'll be like, don't worry, darling, you're like you're doing brilliantly everything's yeah. fine. I'm like, thanks for that. Like,
1: yeah. But it's not fine, yeah. love. <laughs> don't
2: get it. <laughs> um, always, and also, I think I say this a lot with, with people when they ask for advice about starting out. And I say, like, go get some feedback, but don't just go to your friends and family for feedback yeah. on your concepts because... My mum will always say everything's amazing. Yeah. I can go to her with the worst business idea and she'll be like, "That's go for it, go for it, you know? Yeah. And so I think if you can get some people who like perhaps like some yes. relevant market insight, you know, some people who are perhaps going to be the kind of person who would buy your product yeah. or your service, like go get some insight that is, is is relevant to it. Yeah,
1: it's always nice to get feedback from the parents where they're like, everything you're doing is amazing. Yeah. You are brilliant. <laughs> That's like Literally getting the praise is like really nice. But sometimes getting criticism is far more useful mm. um, feedback. Sure. So definitely definitely seek out people that are going to slate your stuff because yeah. it might end up making it better. Probably will. <laughs> definitely um so with the events that you're putting on did you find that that helped to promote about time as well and sort of feed people back into the website
2: well it was funny because when we first started doing them i was go up and introduce myself and then just crack on with the panel mm. and then i realized at the end that no one ever knew like who i was properly or what i did and actually yeah. because a lot of the time they're finding on eventbrite they don't know what about time is. Mm-hmm. So my team were like, you need to tell them yeah. that we're from We need
1: magazine. to actually promote yeah. this yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. so they, yeah. they
2: were quite separate entities because the, the channels which you use to promote them, like we do a lot of paid spend on Instagram mm-hmm. directly to the Eventbrite, like you yeah. wouldn't necessarily know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think it has helped our brand to an extent. Uh, maybe it's helped my personal brand, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's important to kind of link it together. That, I think, is a really big challenge when you're... Um, when you start as one thing and then you want to, try to go into other areas, yeah. how you keep your brand strong. And I'm often questioning, like, are we confusing people with our brand? How can we make sure it's not kind of diluted? How can we make yeah. it clearer? So we took the About Time Academy onto a separate website. I'm now considering bring it back onto About Time. Oh, okay, May. Cool. So I think you have to constantly be questioning whether these decisions are right. Yeah. And what's clearer for your, for your customer or your user.
1: So that obviously generated some traffic for you. Um, but what were your main avenues of marketing and promotion to try and get people onto the website?
2: For the events?
1: Um, yeah, for the events.
2: Um, so paid spend on Instagram has been really good for us, On mainly on stories has been quite good. Um, we do a bit of paid spend on Facebook, um, just also just using our own channels, so our newsletter and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think um, perhaps if you're looking to put on an event, trying to find relevant people to speak who have, like, good engaged followings themselves. Oh, okay, yes, they can promote it for you. Exactly, so, so, like, seeing it as a kind of cross-promotional... Um, thing is good and so um, I love Canva it's my new obsession Ooh, okay don't know if you've ever used Canva but it's great for just designing little templates for Instagram and nice. social media so now with our festivals we have like these these set Canva designs that we send to all our speakers so we try and give them as many assets as possible for stuff that they can share on their platforms so just really basic stuff like design pretty things yeah. so that your, your
1: speakers can share them really and so with those skills that you've picked up from promoting the events has that then fed back into skills you've been able to utilise in the about time site as well um-
2: all of it is a learning curve of just yeah. trying to build up an audience and what that looks like I think one of the things that we just try and do, I know auth- authenticity is quite like overused as a concept but we do try and be quite authentic and by that I mean with my personal channels we share a lot of like the behind the scenes of building mm-hmm. these things and we share stuff that hasn't gone right or things you' yeah. are like finding difficult and I think that that has allowed a level of access between my audience and me that they quite like yeah. um, and I think that they feel like they're part of the journey a little bit as well, Like the there's people that will message me that have read about time since the beginning and it's really lovely and I, I think allowing people in can be really beneficial for your brand because they get to share in it a little bit and yeah. my audience have been unbelievably supportive and I know most people say that Twitter and Instagram is like full of trolls and it is <laughs> yeah. I know but I, I seem to have the loveliest audience like oh, nice. everyone on Twitter is so nice to me and we recently um, um, tweeted that we needed some volunteers for the festival because we had a slight mix up with the venue and long story short we had to pack chairs very early on in the morning oh and I gosh. had about 30 young girls email me saying like happy to get involved and oh, it's like nice. one of the most heartwarming yeah. days I've ever had at work and I was like it's so nice and I wonder whether that would have happened had we have not been sharing so much of the behind the scenes yeah, along the way you.
1: being and, so honest and transparent
2: yeah I've just like when stuff goes horribly wrong or when I'm having a really anxious stress week and like asking people for advice on what do they do to like yeah. de stress and you know I think it's trying to share that as much as possible
1: Create a nice community of, mm. of help. No, that's really good. Um, what are you? What's the future for the festival? Should not there be more of those coming up?
2: Yeah. So our plan is to do. Um, we have another festival in September mm-hmm. of, of 2020, which is going to be a well-being focused one. So it's also she started it, but it's mind, body, spirit. Oh, nice. Um, so talking about mental health and physical well-being and all sorts of stuff, which will be lovely. And then the year after, the plan is to take them around the UK. So we're looking to do them in different cities, basically, because oh, cool. at the moment we, we're just doing two this year in London. But yep. I'd like to be able to go to Manchester and to Leeds yeah. and Edinburgh. So that is, out. yeah, that is the plan and to have female founders from those cities as well and just build it, really.
1: And so while you're balancing arranging these events and, and building that side of things as well, how are you balancing that with then your work on the magazine as well? Uh,
2: badly badly no, <laughs> no the truth is i'm actually i'm um, quite diligent with my schedule so i i plan out my weeks like a revision timetable okay good so when you were like studying <laughs> yeah. for your gcse's that's basically how i do got it, it on the wall oh it's a fully <laughs> color-coded situation nice. um i have found having a kind of portfolio career when you do lots of different stuff is quite difficult with time management and you have to i've found not flip too much between Mm -hmm. like one project and another per day so what i try and do is have like monday i'm just working on festivals yeah tuesday i'm working on this and try and take the whole day or at least a half day on just one thing yeah because otherwise i feel like you dip into loads of stuff and you don't get further with anything yeah so um so yeah that's that's something that i do and then i always plan the day before the night uh I always plan the night before the day ahead so I know Got exactly you, okay, you know so what you're going to do no, you, this is what you're doing at this hour
1: are you quite good at sticking to a quite regimented schedule I
2: think the hardest thing for all of us is our phones mm-hmm. and that's the thing that will often pull you out yeah. out of the zone and you'll finally get distracted so I'm trying to be a lot better with not being on my phone during yeah. the day so I don't get pulled into other things but yeah for the most part I'm pretty good with it I think having like a big deadline like writing a book kind of forces you to get really organized yeah, definitely. and be, <laughs> be diligent about stuff um yeah so I feel like Anyone
1: can be organised when their back's against the wall. And how is it for you with a routine? I think a lot of people try and fit the mould of, like, nine to five, Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. Do you do any sort of weekend work, early starts, late finishes? I
2: love a bit of Sunday working, personally. I don't usually work on Saturdays, but I sometimes do like to take, like, a couple of hours Mm -hmm. to get ahead of the week. I tend to find I feel better on a Monday morning if if I've taken Sunday night to just sit. I actually really enjoy it. Like, I sit down with my diary, I look at, like, my to-do list, and I just kind of put everything on my kitchen table and it clears my head massively rather than waking up on a Monday morning that like chesty anxiety feeling yeah like there's so
1: much stuff to do yeah Yeah. and you're like
2: oh god what am I doing today and then you're kind of chasing your tail so I think like we demonize things like weekend work. Yeah. It's like you shouldn't, and like work-life balance. which I think with the whole concept of work-life balance is so guilt-inducing. Like yeah. it also for me makes it feel like you have your work in your life, and like one's fun and one's thing. not. Yeah. For me, it's like work-life integration. Like <laughs> how can you make them work alongside each other? That's really good. And that might be like taking a yoga class on a Friday morning at like 11 a.m. when no one else is in it, which is glorious. <laughs> but then doing a couple of hours on a Sunday. So I, I just think be be kind and gentle to yourself. Find a schedule and a rhythm
1: that works for you. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's quite a unique way of thinking. I think a lot of people do try and force themselves into a Regimented, like this is my working time and this mm. is my fun time. And I think if it if it flows in between each other, and I mean, at the end of the day, people have started their own businesses because it's something they really, really yeah. enjoy. And so if it is part of your fun side of your life as well, then yeah, that yeah, totally it's makes nice. sense. I mean, there's
2: a very fine line, and it's taken me a couple of years to get that line <laughs> right because there's also the desire to sit at home, like n- you know, just wear like ugliest pajamas yeah. and just work <laughs> your laptop on your sofa, and that also doesn't make you feel great by the end of the week. Yeah. So there's a fine line between like being kind to yourself and then being like, no,
1: it's nine am, I need to start work now. Time. To do stuff yeah i think i think you're right totally as well with like getting everything out of your head on a sunday night ready ahead of mm. the week i think i personally i'm a massive lists person i would have everything in my head and that makes me feel stressed if i can write everything down on a list and then have it all there it just gives me like clarity yeah. i'm like okay, i know exactly what needs doing um, and so it's, it's cool being able to sort of plan ahead and and know exactly what you need to achieve at what time and mm. whatever that's that must be um a really good way of managing definitely. things definitely um So now that your team has grown, um, how has that helped you looking at sort of today and where your your business is at today?
2: Yeah, I think it's been really exciting because... It's just, you know, having more people allows you to have ideas and then actually implement them. Mm -hmm. The thing I probably found frustrating in the early years was wanting to do new stuff and partly not having the confidence because I didn't have people around me to be like, that's a good idea, let's run with it. And then partly just not having the manpower to do it. And I think it feels really exciting now to have a team in place where you can come up with stuff and you can actually action it which is great. And I've got so few ideas for what we're going to do with the She Started It community as yeah. it were um, over the next kind of 12 months, which, um, yeah, it's exciting. I also love doing all the kind of like self helpy things with my team. So I'll get nice. them to my flat and we'll sit and we'll do like a monthly review and we'll do a goal setting thing oh, cool. and all that kind of stuff. We'll, I'll do individual reviews with them as well. I just want people that work for me to feel like we're on the same page and that yeah. we're working together and there's a, a greater sense of purpose. I think that's what makes people be like inspired and excited yeah. to go to work with you
1: you're definitely a great boss <laughs> you've right. learned the managerial skills over time for sure and mm-hmm. um, so with that what the business looks like today what are the key differences between about time and the she started it now compared to what they were right at the beginning
2: um we have a bit more of an engaged following and I think we mm-hmm. have more of a sense of how stuff is going to do mm-hmm. that's my okay. probably my main thing I think in the early days we're doing events you were just we were just putting it out there and like hoping people would book. And there wasn't like a real sense of like, where's this coming from? Like not having a, a grip, able to control over it I think having it's always the same like having done stuff a couple of times mm-hmm. you kind of generally have a sense of how stuff is going to go down and like what kind of numbers you can hope for and and that kind of thing and I think that's quite reassuring so I wouldn't be scared if you're launching something of like that fear that comes up because yeah. that's really normal when you haven't done it a couple of times like before we did our first festival I was like I have no you have no reference point and having done one now I'm like okay I know that's probably what it's going to feel like and yeah, you can build on it. So that's all,
1: it's all a learning curve. All a learning curve, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good piece of advice that knowing that everything that, all the bad things that happen are actually, you know. It's just it's opportunity Opportunity to learn, definitely. Yeah. Um, but on top of all of the negatives and the sort of, the things that can go wrong, what would you say has been like your proudest moment throughout this whole journey? Mm,
2: I just loved all of it. I love anything that's inf- like in front of a live audience, I think that's mm-hmm. when I feel the most connected to what I do. I think so much of what we do is behind a screen, yeah. writing features, sharing social media, and actually getting face to face with our audience. For me, yeah. always feels like incredibly nourishing. So probably our first festival in September just had like the most amazing energy, which is what happens when you put loads of women together in a room and they're yeah. sharing, they're open, and they're vulnerable. Like it's such a beautiful thing to to witness and to be to be organising something like that just feels so special
1: with everything that you've been sort of promoting with the female empowerment where do you see that going how do you see sort of female entrepreneurship moving in the future
2: i'm like so pleased that this conversation is really exploding now with female yeah. entrepreneurship it, it did feel like even like 2 years ago when we started to do these events we, i didn't feel like Anyone else was really doing it. Like people yeah. weren't talking about the fact that you were seeing less female entrepreneurs in the public eye. That yeah. women were finding it harder to start their businesses. And now I feel like every day I get a press release from some kind of fintech brand who's done a big survey with all these new stats, which is amazing to see. That's or like so Santander cool. yeah. has done a big survey, and it's just showing that there's this this awareness about about the issue of, of female representation and like how there's more FTSE 100 um, CEOs called Steve than there are women. Like oh you know, God. huge problems. <laughs> That we're that's only now addressing. Stat. Yeah, oh, that was horrible. Steve or Stephen. I mean, that's so why I keep that's, saying to everyone, yeah. like, be less Stephen. Yeah,
1: be less Stephen. Be, be less Stephen, be more
2: woman. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think... And also, you, you know, often with these things, it's like a cultural shift before yeah. there's a policy shift. So as long as, like, people are talking about it, it's an, it's an ordinary people are talking about it in, like, their everyday life, yeah, yeah, then hopefully it will turn the dial on policy shift and we'll see see better policies for women, so... That's why I hope by doing this.
1: Well, you're definitely making, making an impact better on better flexible by, working, yeah. childcare, all that kind of stuff. Brilliant! No, that's really cool, um, and you've definitely made some great moves in that yourself. And you've really helped Stephen. to create that move. Be less, Stephen. That's the, the, the take home hashtag. Be less, Stephen. Yeah. Um, if you, were someone listening to this right now who's starting up their business and they're going through those early stages, do you have a one take home piece of advice for them?
2: I would say back yourself. I think it is important to just try as much as you can to, to believe in what you're doing. I would say that the primary product of any business is you, and mm-hmm. if you're not looking after your own personal well being, then it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. So just the basic stuff like sleep and trying to switch off and just looking after your mental health and going for walks and exercise. Like yeah. if you're burnt out, it's never going to work no matter how great the business concept mm. is. Um, and then, yeah, getting some good feedback on it. Um, not not too much that will put you off doing what you're doing. Yeah. But it is hard. It yeah. is a hustle and it's hard and you're going to get a lot of no's and a lot of rejections and you just have to like grow a bit of a thick skin Give yourself a day when something bad happens, and then dust yourself off and do it again. And that's just what it is to be an entrepreneur, yeah. I
1: think. All about the self care. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, about self care.
2: <laughs> and also, whatever self care looks like to you, it doesn't need to be like a bubble bath and yeah, like a bubble bath and, and moisturising. Yeah. That yeah. happens to be my particular poison. <laughs> but like, you know, there may be things that are quite personal to you that yeah. make you feel better, reading a book or writing in a journal. So trying to work out what how to self soothe, I mm-hmm. guess, yeah,
1: um, is important. What helps with de-stressing for you?
2: Yeah, actually. well, we had a great. Um, um, behavioral specialist called sharia zadi on um one of the panels and she mm-hmm. said to me that if you just have one coping strategy whether it's a bubble bath or it's a glass of wine it's problematic mm-hmm. and the trick is to have like a multitude of things that you do to self-soothe yeah. rather than relying on one thing because yeah. your one thing will eventually stop working because you're kind of overusing it right and yeah. that's when it turns into like a reliance or an addiction or something like that so have like a multiple multiple ways that you yeah. self-soothe and have uh, like a number of coping strategies yeah we
1: don't want any listeners addicted to a bowl bath yeah i mean i was like well
2: how, how bad can it be i guess you get very pruney but
1: yeah. mm. <laughs> spending lots of money on bath products yeah. maybe yeah <laughs> um well thanks very much for speaking to me today it's thank been really you. really great to have a chat with you and we've learned a lot so um thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and good luck with the next festival as well thank hopefully you. people will go along
0: to the one in september which would be really great much. thanks <laughs>